We're going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. We'll finish out the chapter. I know it always helps for me when I'm listening to a live stream or a podcast to get out my Bible, get out a piece of paper, notebook, take notes, expect that God would speak to us this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to draw near to you. We do ask that you would speak to us through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And for us as a church body, God, we pray for your will. Your will in regards to meeting back together. Pray for that perfect timing, Lord, in a way that would honor you. And God, even though we haven't seen each other in quite a while, we know we're joined together in spirit. So, Lord, would you bless each person, each married couple, each family that is listening, that's worshiping. May you be glorified as we go through your word. So, God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul gives us this concept, this idea in this section of scripture that time is short. And because time is short, how that should impact our relationship with God and also how it should impact our relationship with one another. I've had this message implanted on my heart really since I was in high school. In high school, there was uh, three friends of my brother and I's that passed away. One died in a car accident, uh, another passed away in an airplane accident, and then another one of our friends passed away with heart difficulty. One of her veins was too small and not enough blood got to her heart. She passed away on her 17th birthday. So to, to lose three friends in high school really caused me to see that life is short. Many of you know about six weeks ago I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, spent a couple of days in the hospital, and it reminded me again that life is short. You never know when you're going to step into uh, eternity. And though we know that, we can live our lives oftentimes thinking that we're going to live forever, that this life is not going to come to an end. But not only is this life short, but time in general is short. The Bible teaches that we are racing towards the rapture of the church. We are racing towards the second coming of Christ. And because of that, Christ is going to come. He's going to judge the world. This world is going to pass away. That We're going to learn that in our Bible study. So in light of that, what should we be living for? In light of that, what should our priority be? And that's the challenge that Paul gives to us. Please remember as we're going through this section of 1 Corinthians, that it all flows out of the gospel. It all flows of living in the reality that we're bought with a price, that Jesus purchased us with his own blood. And since he's purchased us, our life belongs to him. So we live in the gospel and we live from the gospel. Since I'm bought with a price, then how does this specifically affect the way that I live? So Paul's going to address singleness and also address marriage in this section of scripture. Verse 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Paul has been speaking to married couples and now he puts his attention upon singles 
And he says, I've got my judgment for you. This is not necessarily the word from the Lord, but this is my judgment. And Paul says that the Lord has made him trustworthy. I think if Paul came over to our house and joined us for coffee and offered some advice, we would probably listen. Verse 26, he says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of this present distress that it's good for a man to remain as he is. So point number one is that we're called to remain in your calling. Paul says, because of the present distress, because time is short, it's good for you to remain as he is. And he explains in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So whatever relational state that you find yourself in, remain in that calling. If you are married, don't seek to be loosed from your spouse. If you're single, don't be seeking out a wife. Be content where the Lord has you. And this seems difficult. In the years of working with people as a pastor, which is a real joy, it's always interesting that there seems to be a group of singles that would do anything to be married. But then there's some married people that would do anything to be single. And God's message is remain where he's called you. Remain where he has has placed you. So if you're married, that's what God's will is for you. And don't seek to be loosed from your spouse. Don't entertain those thoughts of how can I get away from my spouse or can I be divorced? But seek the Lord in the midst of that relationship. And then if you're single, it can be all-consuming to say, I've got to be married, and when is this going to happen? And Lord, I have a desire to, to be married. And this is a pretty strong exhortation from Paul where he's saying, don't seek to be married. The bigger lesson for us is we need to be seeking the Lord. We need to get our eyes off of human relationships and get our eyes uh, upon the Lord. Out of obedience to Christ... We seek to stay committed to our spouse. If our eyes are upon what Christ has done for us, if we're looking to him and his blood that was shed for us, then we're not going to be seeking to be loosed from our spouse. If we're single, and as difficult as that is, if our eyes are upon the Lord saying, God, you know the desire of my heart, but I'm willing to be single if that's what you would have for me. It's interesting as God created Adam. He didn't create Adam and Eve at the exact same moment in the Genesis story, the Genesis narrative. And Adam was given the responsibility of naming all of the animals. And they were a male and female. And he's noticing in God's creation, male and female. But Adam, there's no female counterpart. God exposes Adam's need for a spouse. Then Adam was put to sleep and God took a rib from his side and created Eve. Adam had to be put to sleep by the Lord. What if Adam would have went and sought out a spouse before the Lord provided Eve? He would have ended up with a gorilla, an ape, or a monkey, but instead he allowed the Lord to put him to sleep. And sometimes being single, it's important for the Lord to give you rest And bring you to a place of peace where you're not necessarily seeking out a spouse and trusting the Lord's provision for you. God will be faithful. 
and say, Lord, I'm going to seek you and not necessarily be seeking a spouse. For those of us that are married to say, God, I'm seeking you. I'm not seeking to be loosed from my spouse. Remain where God has called you, where he's placed you relationally. Verse 28, but even if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such you will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So here's the Apostle Paul, and you almost have to laugh at this when you read this. Because what is he saying? What is he declaring? He's saying, well, if you get married, it's not a sin. Paul's going to show the value of singleness throughout this text. But then he says, the reason that I'd encourage you to stay single is because if you get married, you will have trouble in this flesh. And Paul says, I'd spare you from this. I was reading over this last night in bed, and I turned to Amber, who was reading, and I said, you know, you know, babe, you probably shouldn't have married me because it says right here in the scripture that I just caused trouble in, in your flesh. So what in the world is Paul speaking to? We know that Marriage is a blessing through scripture, and God created marriage, but what Paul is going to declare to us is there's work that goes into marriage, as you would, would imagine, and if a person's single, that investment that they're making into the spouse, they can serve the Lord without distraction, and so that's why Paul is saying there's a benefit to singleness. Now, prepare yourself for the next few verses, because we get to this theme that time is short, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world and not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Because time is short, Paul then tells us, stay on mission. That's point number two. Stay on mission. Now, please don't use this out of context. If you're going, okay, Paul says, if you're married, to go ahead and act like you're not married. So here I am. I've got my spouse, but I'm going to live like a single person. I'm never going to check in with my spouse on my schedule. I'm just going to do what I want. I'm never going to check in with my spouse on finances. That's an abuse of the text. We know from Scripture that God has made us one as married couples, two becoming one flesh, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church, that wives are to submit and respect to their husband. So what is Paul's point when he's saying, for those of you that are married, I would have you act in such a way that you were not. It's not talking about holding on to the single life or in any way being in sexual sin, but what Paul is saying is even as married couples, that our focus needs to be Christ seeking first the kingdom of God and seeking his mission for our lives, not losing sight of the great commission, not losing sight of serving the Lord. Please stay with me on this, married couples and singles, is the primary purpose of your marriage is not for your own mutual satisfaction. That is a part of marriage. God wants to use your spouse to bless you in companionship in so many ways. But the primary purpose of a 
Christian marriage is to glorify God so that Christ and the church can be seen in a marriage. What could be missing in our marriages is that we've lost sight of the vision and the mission and the purpose for our marriage. A healthy marriage is going to have two people where their eyes are upon Christ, where they love Christ even more than they love their spouse. If you take a triangle and you have the base of the triangle and two people are running towards the Lord, the Lord is going to bring them together. And the Lord is the greatest bond. And then the purpose of their marriage is saying, how do we glorify God? How do we serve God together? How do we serve God in our finances? How do we serve God with our our time? How does our home and cars, if the Lord has provided those, how do those glorify the Lord? But if your eyes are not upon the Lord, then you're simply having your eyes upon each other and yourself, and marriage isn't going to work. The biggest component and the greatest component is the Lord, and the Lord has to be in the center of, of a marriage. Sometimes in marriage and inside of Christendom, we can idolize marriage and family to where everything is about having a healthy marriage and a a healthy family. And I understand how important that is, but that flows out of a relationship with Christ. Your spouse can't be the most important in your life. They have to be secondary to Christ. Your kids can't be more important than your relationship with Christ. Now, stay with me. Hear me out on this. If your most important relationship with the Lord is Christ, you're going to serve your spouse. You're going to serve your kids. You're, you're going to live that out with them and serve them in a, in a godly fashion. For those of you that are single and you're praying through getting married at some point, possibly you're dating, possibly you're engaged, you want to marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. And to make sure that your passion is Christ. That your passion is, is following him. A lot of times you'll see one person who's in love with Christ. And, and they'll meet someone who's not in love with Christ. And then over time, this, this person starts to go along with emotions. And before you commit yourself to them, you want to make sure that there is a genuine love and obedience for Christ, that they're not just going through the motions so that they can date you or going through the motions so that they can marry you. One of the things that we can find ourselves in the situation inside of marriage and family is that we don't have any time to serve the Lord. We're so busy doing our own family unit that we go, man, I I don't have time to reach out with the gospel. I don't have time to reach out to this unbeliever at work. I don't have time to be able to to serve in the church. And for families and marriages to come together and say, we want to serve together. How can a married couple seek the Lord to serve together? How can a family come together and say, we want to serve God together? That's very prayerful. It's very, very thoughtful. You don't want to neglect your marriage and neglect your family by any means, but remember the vision Remember the, the overarching mission of marriage is to glorify God. It's not for our own mutual satisfaction. That is secondary. There's a lot more things that are listed here in the text that we need to be careful that doesn't get us sidetracked. And one is sorrow. It says, if you weep, be as someone who doesn't weep. We can get so consumed on our sorrow that we lose sight of the mission that God has given us to love him and to love others. 
And it may be time to say, you know what? I've grieved, and I've grieved long enough. And it's time for me to set that grief aside and to get back to the mission that God has for me as a believer. Also rejoicing here, he says, if you're rejoicing, be as someone who rejoices not. That's pretty radical. You might be in this extreme season of blessing and all of those blessings can be a distraction from the mission that God has given to us as as believers. So we need to be careful that the blessing doesn't overshadow the one who is given the blessing, which is God, and say, God, I want to stay true to the mission that you have called me. It's interesting that Paul would bring up possessions. He says, those that possess things act as though you didn't possess things. Sometimes as we look back on our lives, we go, this was kind of nice when I didn't have a lot of stuff. Stuff consumes us. What you strive to gain, you strive to maintain, which has been well said at times in the past. So don't allow your house to become so consuming that we lose sight of the mission of knowing Christ and making him known. Don't allow the cars to become so consuming that we forget about the mission that God has given to us. So God's saying that he's not against us possessing things, but it's the attitude in which we possess things. Do we possess those things or do those things possess us and have they become a distraction to the mission in which God has called us? And then Paul kind of wraps all of this up and puts it into perspective and he says, I want you to use this world, but not abuse it. God created this world. We're stewards of his creation, so we, we want to use it, but we need to be careful to not abuse it. Then Paul says, this world is passing away. Time is short. And because time is short, we have to focus on what's going to last for eternity. It's Christ. It's knowing him in a greater way. It's loving others. Relationships are going to last for eternity. If you invest in an unbeliever and they become a believer, that lasts for eternity. You invest in believers, that's going to last for eternity. But this world is going to pass away. Pike's Peak is not always going to be there. I want to read to you out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. You can turn there if you'd like. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus told us signs of his second coming in Matthew chapter 24. Maybe it's been a little while since you've read that section of scripture, but we see these birth pains being fulfilled before our very eyes. We don't know when Christ is gonna rapture the church. We don't know when his second coming is gonna take place or he comes as a conquering king and makes all things right, but no doubt he will come. And after his return, then there will be the final judgment upon the world, and this world will be burned up. So in light of the fact that time is short, 
We want to keep things in their proper perspective and make sure that God is number one in our lives. His calling is, is number one in our lives. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7. In verse 31 and 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, he, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how may he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Paul's living in a culture that sees singleness as being less. It's recorded in the Mishnah that it was actually required by Jewish law that an abled male needed to be married. The only reason for him to be single is if he was impotent. And Paul is single. And no doubt he knows many in the church are single. And he says, I want you to see the advantage of being single. And he just states the reality of marriage. It's not a bad thing. But in marriage, you're called and you spend time investing in how you may please each other. And I think that, that, is, that that's God's heart. Husbands, you spend time making sure that you're serving your wife. Wives, you spend time making sure that you're serving your husband and those that are single, you don't have that opportunity and responsibility. So you're able to fully serve the Lord and take that energy that you would be putting into marriage and say, I'm going to serve the Lord. If you are single and you're in a place where you're saying, I've seen it as a disadvantage, read through God's word and, and allow God's word to penetrate your heart and say, if the Lord has allowed this in my life or he has called me to this, how can I use my singleness to serve the Lord? And what capacity am I available to serve the Lord in a unique way because I don't have the responsibilities of a family? Verse 35, And this I say for your own benefit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And this is point number three, is serve the Lord without distraction. I think there's an application here for those that are married as well, is how do you see someone who is single inside of the body of Christ? Do you look at that and you go, well, they're missing out on something and they need to be married and maybe putting pressure on them to, to be married. Maybe God's called them to, to be single. I'm so thankful for the singles in our church and the way that you serve God and ser serve the body and what a blessing. For us as parents, you know, have we projected upon them that they're to be married? And we always talk and think about them being married. Well, what if God's calling them to, to be single? And that's the path that he has. Would we be okay with that as parents? And would we trust that that's what God has for them? So there's the application for the person who's single to say, I can serve the Lord in a unique way without distraction, but there's also an application for everybody else in the body to see God's calling as singleness to be a blessing to the body of Christ and also to the unbeliever. Amber, my wife, uh, has an aunt who's never been married and loves the Lord and has served the Lord, has always desired to be married, but God has never allowed that for her. And now she's in her, her later 60s. And she's been an awesome example of throughout her life 
serving God, serving the body of Christ, serving the church, serving unbelievers, and she's such a blessing to so many people's lives. And so if this is what God has for you, wear it with pride. If you're coming alongside others who are single, encourage them. Don't discourage them. Don't look down upon them, but encourage them. I hope the singles inside of our our church family don't feel looked down upon, but see the value that God has placed inside of that calling. Verse 36, but if any man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let her do what, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. So the truth here is if you're, you're single and you're struggling in temptation, it's, it's better to marry. So if you're dating someone and you're in relationship with them and you're going, man, the single life is not for me. I'm not going to be able to, to navigate this in sexual integrity, then by all means get married. It's not a, it's not a sin to, to marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in heart, having no necessity, but has power over his will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So if you're able to live in sexual integrity inside of singleness and serve the Lord without distraction, then praise the Lord. Go for it. Verse 38. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. So as Paul shares this, he's really giving us a radical teaching on singleness. This would be so countercultural to the Jewish society at this time. And he's saying, man, if, if you get married, you're doing well. If you, if you give your daughter to be married and you bless your son as he get, gets married, man, you do well. But if you remain single, you even do better because of your, your opportunity to be able to, to serve the Lord. It seems like Paul, for him and his calling, had looked at the fact that time is short. And he says, I'm being called to be single and serve the Lord in a radical way. And he's sharing his life with us. And he's saying, if anyone else feels called this same way, where you're, you're single, you realize time is short, you can live in sexual integrity, you want to devote yourself fully to the things of God, then there's a, a calling in that. But also, if you're married, then God's obviously called you to be married. If you're single and he's calling you to be married, that's a blessing too. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So Paul's making it clear here that that if your spouse passes away, you have God's blessing to get remarried, as long as it's in the Lord, as long as you're you're marrying another believer. He's also making it clear to all those that are single that have never been married, you have God's blessing to get married. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think also I have the Spirit of God. I can almost see a, a smile on Paul's face as he is, is writing this. I think he knows how countercultural this is. And he wants those that are single inside of the church to see the blessing in it uh, and to see what God would have uh, for them. So the application for us from 1 Corinthians 7 is this, is embrace singleness embrace singleness. I'm sure that this message is for some to say, I can be content in being single. I've been seeking a spouse, seeking a spouse, seeking a spouse. It just doesn't seem to be working out. All right, Lord, I trust you. 
I'm going to choose to seek you. I'm going to choose to serve without distraction and put this in your hands if you desire for me to be married. But then also there's an application of embrace marriage. For those that are, are married or God has brought someone in your life that it's clear they're a godly person and he has marriage for you, for some, you need to embrace marriage. I'm sure there's some that are single where God has brought an amazing, godly person into your life, but you've put the brakes on. And you said, no, I'm not going to get married. I'm not ever going to get married. And God may want you to consider through prayer and godly counsel if this is the person for you to, to get married. There's many that are married. And you may be in a difficult place in your, your marriage. Don't loot, seek to be loosed from your spouse. Remain in your calling. Say, because Christ has purchased me, because I, I belong to him, my life is not my own, I'm going to choose to stay committed in this marriage. And seek the Lord. Seek him. Seek him and pray for your spouse. And begin to live out the scriptures inside of your marriage and pray that God would do a wonderful work of restoration. Marriage doesn't have to be a constant struggle. Marriage doesn't have to be a slugfest where you're always fighting with each other. God designed it to be a blessing. He designed it to be a reflection of Christ in the church. And as both of you turn your hearts towards the Lord, both the husband and the wife, turn your hearts towards Christ, seek him, be obedient to him, fall in love with him, then he's going to be the center of that marriage. And he's the one that's going to make that, that marriage work and make it beautiful. For those of you that have been blessed by God's grace and have a healthy marriage, keep going. Don't give up. It, it's worthwhile. Remember the overarching vision of your marriage is how can we serve the Lord together? Maybe sit down and ask this question and pray through. Lord, what are you calling us to as a married couple? How can we serve you? In what ways can our marriage be an impact for, for the kingdom? To not lose sight of serving God. To not, not allow the marriage to be all-consuming that you forget about the mission and the calling and the purpose that God has put upon your life. I was thinking of Priscilla and Aquila, this married couple that stands out in the New Testament, and they're always linked together in the New Testament, and they're always linked to serving God. They loved God, and they loved each other, and they loved being able to serve together. And that's what God would have for us in marriage, that we would say, Lord, our lives, our marriage belongs to you, our family belongs to you, and Lord, what is your purpose and your mission for our marriage? The biggest takeaway of this text is to embrace Christ and his mission. If all you see is marriage and singleness in this text, we've missed it. Paul's wanting our eyes to be opened about how short time is and to say, how am I investing the time that God has given to me? Do I really understand that my life was bought with a price, that every day is a gift from God, every day is an opportunity to be able to serve the Lord? Years ago, I was at a parenting conference, and we were pretty young parents at this time. And the speaker said this, and for some reason it always stuck with me, is see every day with your kids as a gift that you get to unwrap and start each day with your kids when they wake up by giving them a hug and being thankful that you have that day to be with them. 
So I try when my kids get up to give them a hug, to just love on them a little bit and think of it that way that I'm so thankful that I get this day with, with my kids. And I'm thankful for that, that that was shared with me at that point as a, as a young dad, because now my kids are, are growing up and they're, my older two are racing towards adulthood. Got a little ways to go, but they're racing to that direction. And I know the time that I have with them, it's so short. It's, it's going by so quick. And in a larger sense, we want to apply that to our lives to realize every day is a gift. Every day the Lord has given us is a gift. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know how long it's going to be before the rapture of the church. What if the next time the church is fully together is at the throne room of God, we're closer to the rapture than we can even imagine. Someday this world's going to be all wrapped up, but the word of God dwells, dwells forever. So to see that time is short and then to embrace, okay, What's God's calling on my life? What's the mission that he has for me? To know him, to make him known. Paul, in paraphrase, in Philippians 3, said what keeps him going, what causes him to press on to the future is to try to figure out the purpose for which Christ has laid hold of him. Paul realized, okay, God saved me out of darkness, brought me into light. Now he must have a purpose for this day. So we want to press into the purposes that God has for us individually, but we also want to press into the purposes that God has for us as a church family. God has us in Colorado Springs at this unique time, so how can we be the church that would glorify Christ and the way we love him and the way we love one another and the way that we love the community? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of time. We thank you for life. Jesus, you told us that you came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And we admit that it's so easy to get distracted, even with good things. To get consumed with the responsibility of marriage and, and family and owning a home or renting an apartment or having a car to, to, to maintain. And God, we want to be focused first and foremost upon you to embrace you and the calling that you have upon our lives. So we thank you for the gift of marriage, but we also thank you for the gift of singleness. For those that are single that are wrestling with singleness, God, would you give them peace? Would you show them ways that they can serve you without distraction? Would you really meet them in that? Lord, would you help those who are married, the way that they see those that are single, to really value singleness, to come alongside and to encourage? Lord, we pray for future marriages that you're wanting to bring about, that you're wanting to birth, that those marriages would not be centered on their likes and dislikes, that they wouldn't be centered on their personalities, but those marriages would be centered upon you and the calling that you have upon their lives. Or we confess to you, we don't know what's going on. We don't have control. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We choose to not lean on our own understandings. We trust you. As a church family, we trust you. Jesus, you're the head of the church. Time is short. May we be a church that's 
in love with you, that's honoring you, where you can clearly be seen in our lives. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. 